0: Welcome to Campfire Football, I'm Sebastian North, and a little bit of a special episode today. Today I just sat down with Mark Dillon from the Talent Project, he lives in Germany. This is an amazing small institution organization that they've created. It's sort of like a foreign exchange program for American kids who are talented to go over to Germany, apply their trade a little bit, learn about their football, and hopefully find a way to break in at professional levels and really see what they're made of in a place where the talent and basically just the quality level is so high. So I loved this conversation with Mark Dillon of The Talent Project. Without further ado, please have a listen. There's a lot to chew on here, it's really good. So, well, why don't we get started? Um, Cause sure. you, it's actually interesting. I, I uh, did an interview with Brendan Griffiths who I'm not sure how you two know each other, but uh, after doing an interview with him and sort of seeing the interview you did with him, I got very interested in, in what you guys do. And uh, you guys reached out to me and I thought this would be a really great thing to talk about because as a coach personally, the idea of talent and how it gets filtered through and how we create pathways for players is, it's it's really important. And as if you're a coach, it's fascinating as well. So Mark Dillon, tell me, First of all, what the talent project not just is, but where it came from in your mind. There had to be some reason why I need to create this. There there had to be a hole that you saw that made you want to do this.
1: Well, yes, the hole was created by FIFA in 2009 when they they promulgated a a regulation. It's called Regulation 19. And basically what that did was they, they restricted overseas transfers for players under the age of 18. Now, prior to that, I had been involved with introducing a number of U.S. players to the European markets, Lennon Donovan being one and Bobby Wood being another and Steve Purdy and Hugo Martins and a a number of players, my own son for that matter, uh, got into uh, Europe. And then they passed this law which said that no one under the 18 can make a transfer from one country to another if you're not within that economic area. So... Basically, it shut off the, the European market to American kids. And that meant that our guys were missing absolutely critical professional development periods. And so I was looking for a way to get around that. Now, so I would be bringing in players uh, after 2009 for introductions for a couple of weeks at a time. They might be 14 to 17 years old. And some of them would do really, really well. And they would come away super motivated. And on in some occasions, the the clubs over there would say, "We really like this guy, but uh, we don't have a passport for him. If he had a passport, we'd sign him." Well, the 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 you know the American kid would say, "Oh my God!" Now we would have. Black and white comparative data. Okay, this is what I get over here. This is what I get back at home. And it's not that things back home are so bad. It's just that there's so much better when they, what they sample when they go into a Bundesliga academy. And so the, the, the obvious conclusion of this is that they're going to get better. You know side-by-side comparison they can't help but get better because they have a better environment so what do we do in order to give americans the opportunity not to lose this critical time and to get the benefits of that so i i uh, uh, basically i defined the the talent project as a way to get americans into the system without falling out with fifa law and so right. i created as a study abroad program, which would allow Americans to get into the European system on a study basis. And then we would create, basically, we would reconstruct a Bundesliga academy program alongside it. So we could structure their, their academic work around the football training schedule. We would train exactly the same way, same amount of hours, twice a day. We would play against all the top level teams, but we wouldn't do it as a registered team. And so now we're in there, now we're in the system, now we're training every day, now we're playing against the top teams, now we're in, our boys are in the shop window every week, and the development that you see in them, the acceleration of their learning is, is, is dramatic. So that's basically the genesis of the, uh, the talent project, and we're starting in year three now, coming up in, in August.
0: Excellent. And actually, one thing, when you say some of the developmental differences that a lot of American kids miss When I listened to your episode with Brendan, one of the things that that you talked about was just being mentally keyed in throughout the whole game, right? And not just exiting for a moment. One of the things that I as a coach struggle the most with, with all of my players, is transitional moments and staying aware the whole time. A ball goes out of play, everyone just kind of looks around a little bit and that's the moment for me as a coach where if you organize yourself you find your marks you get yourself in a good shape if you're defensive this is the best time to set yourself up and be calm and ready but what I see from a lot of players here in this country is that they just disappear for two or three seconds at a time and it and the impact it has is enormous and when you guys were talking about what the biggest difference was for a lot of players when they get to Germany is that ability to just be always, always aware, always understanding of what's around you, the atmosphere of the game, what's demanded of you. There seems as if there's a little bit more of a self-centered way that the, a lot of American kids play and they have to really break out of that when they go to Europe. Is that something that you've seen? Cause I find that moment that, that, that ability to always just devour everything you see on the field and synthesize the information. Players that do that are extraordinarily more successful than ones that tune out for two or three seconds at a time. Is that one of the main things you've seen?
1: That's absolutely uh, one of the
0: observations we've seen. And it's not because that we're, we're incapable
1: of concentrating. It's just that we haven't been trained that way.
0: Exactly, right.
1: Uh, very often when you're playing for elite level teams, you, you don't have that week in, week out, you know, uh, that means you know, 100% effort competition. So you get into games very often where you, they can get ahead, and all of a sudden you don't, you feel like you don't really need to concentrate. And that's one of the problems that we see with, uh, with our guys going in. And then the other thing is that we tend to sometimes overtrain. And, and what they, what we've noticed over in, in Germany is that they found that less is more. So rather than trying to fill up the bucket with as much training hours as you can, I mean, there's, there, there are significant hours of training and, and input put in, but they go maximum intensity. And then they take a break and take maximum intensity and then they take a break. So you have to to um, you have to be switched on completely while that exercise is going on and they're they're going at 100 percent intensity. And so now, now when you're getting and, and we're talking about when you're playing with really good players or you're playing against really good players. They spot it when you're not concentrating. They know it, and when you're when you're not when you're getting dopey and you're not in the right position at the right time, they'll see it and they will punish you. Right. And then when they do your put your is your pointed out where the deficiency was, and so by virtue of the environment itself, it it increases your cognitive levels because the cognitive levels are so high, and so in order to keep up, you've got to be switched on all the time. And this is a learned behavior
0: hundred percent. I mean, I I, I, just from the kids that I coach, I can tell you it's it's uh, with if I play with a midfield three, for instance, I will tell them frequently like you have to just constantly check into each other. I'm not going to ask you to check your shoulder 27 times or know everything. Just make sure you three always know where each other are and then where your responsibility, defensive responsibilities are. That will help you understand what to do when you have the ball. The amazing thing is that that just that thing of stay connected is the most challenging piece for the majority of my players. They're technically good. They can score goals. They can go 1v1. They can defend. They can build out of the back. But it's those small moments. And what you're saying that's interesting to me is it's when opponents start to realize that you are elsewhere mentally. And I think that's also, an in, that's also an incredible skill, too, because most of the time, I mean, that, that's a very elite level skill as well, to recognize how dopey your opponent is being in a two, three second span and to take advantage of it. And so you're, what you're saying is in the German environment, they're just going to get that every single day, whereas in the United States, it kind of depends on what the game of the day well, is, plan? really. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. And you find that the, the cognitive demands of training and matches are nearly the same or equivalent to the physical demands. And so it becomes less about, um, well, the learned behavior is actually, and part of this is, is, is learning acquisition and, and uh, accelerated learning, but you're, you start to uh, they develop the ability to read visual cues and then recognize patterns. And then when the patterns aren't right then they know something's not right, that's where you exploit it. And they can pick a visual cue. The person's in the wrong position at the wrong time. He's in the wrong body position or something like that. They can see that and exploit that, but you have to be playing at a really high level to get to that. And this is why, this is why the guys up there are making all the money and they're the other guys who might be technically as good and maybe just as athletic, but they don't because they don't have that, that extra cognitive level that they, can apply to the game.
0: Well, and goodness, we know that. I mean, I, I've always said the smartest players are the ones are the best, and the ones that have the the best chance of going farther. But then, of course, there is the physical side of the game. There is uh, the, the raw technical side of the game that some players have this unbelievable talent. Now, I, I, when I think about talent, I think about it as the things that you actually don't control. They're not the things that you but they're the things that you just have that, you know, you're tall, you just have a baseline speed that is bigger than most other people's, or you're extremely agile. And I know all these things can be learned and improved. But obviously, you know, I coach 13, 14 year old kids that none of them are controlling, you know, really their body at this specific age, we still have to wait and see how they're going to grow in some ways, right. But the ability to stay switched on and mentally involved in the game, How much of that do you really think, I know that there is a talent level of that, but do you think that is maybe one of the most learnable pieces? Because it is a cognitive process. It is something that exists in our brains. And if we know how to activate it correctly, do you think that's actually easier to achieve than technical or, say, physical improvements in players?
1: Well, this gets to the argument of nature versus nurture. And the... the ability to develop the, the, uh, these attributes of a player is, is limitless. The ability to develop the brain is limitless you can do you can do you know we're only using a very small amount of our cognitive ability until we start really stretching it, and then we can start really uh seeing an expansion of our of our, our our awareness our ability to concentrate these are all learned behaviors so yes that when you we talk about talent you talk about certain genetic traits of speed and and uh, ratio of fast twitch to slow twitch and and uh, uh, the size and uh, coordination and things like that. But a lot of this can really be developed. Now, you can't make a, a, a world-class player out of a total klutz, okay? So, so, you know, there's some, some guys not paying for playing soccer, yep. right? But, but there's also a lot of really, really good players out there who haven't, just haven't developed yet. And so I think we have a tendency to, to rely too much on nature And not really without really respecting or not being aware of of how much improvement can be made through focused training.
0: And this is where that term whispering talent that I I really love this term uh, kind of comes from. It's the late bloomers, right? That's really what 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 it is or those whose qualities are missed in a way by coaches. Um, Is that kind of a way to describe a whispering talent?
1: Yeah. Um, yes, and I think probably the most common uh, example of whispering talent are the late bloomers, or the people that just haven't been in the right environment. But there are times when it could be also be early bloomers, and they they have all the you know they've been existing by you know physical superiority, and they're the big star and they're scoring all the goals and everything. They're doing everything wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be punished because they happen to be an early developer. So a lot of times you have to take them out and then they have to be exposed to where they're being deficient. And uh, we, you know, we had a player uh, uh, some years back that was, you know, one of the, I don't want to name him, but he was one of the top talents in the U S and we brought him into a match against um, in Germany against Bayer Leverkusen against their under 19 team. And this is a really high level. Now the under 19s at Leverkusen are all pros. as As all the under 19s in the Bundesliga. Well, this kid, in about the fourth minute of the game, got a through ball and just glided past the central defense and scored a goal. OK, now the, he was he took the, the central defenders at and by surprise because this guy was just flying. OK, so they said, OK, well, now we got to adjust. OK, so though they made adjustment. They gave him a little bit more space and they uh, they you, this kid realized that he couldn't run five yards faster than they could run three. They just gave him more cushion. So they made those adjustments on the fly in the match. And so, you know, a a player like that, who's never really been taught to use his uh, use the, to, to address the game in a way that that was not totally reliant on his physical gifts could also be a, a whispering talent.
0: That makes sense. But
1: very often you have guys that, um, Let's imagine, let's imagine, for example, Leo Messi being born and raised in the United States. Okay, at the period that he was growing up, uh, August 30th, I believe was a cutoff date for the next age group. Leo was under way, way, way undersized. He's born June 29th. So he's born, at, he's the very youngest at his age cycle. Now, what happens when he comes into the American system or the traditional American system? Maybe, maybe, and I'm not throwing everybody under the bus, but I'm just saying from a general standpoint, we say this kid is undersized. You know, he's going to get the, cur- the, the snot kicked out of him every weekend. We're going to have to put him in the lower league. We're going to have to put him in the second team and let him develop over there. So this is not an uncommon story, because what happens when you put a player like that, you say he might be enormously talented. It just hasn't developed yet. So you put him in the second league. He's with less motivated players. He probably has less qualified coaching. He has less competition, less quality competition. They, they could be gone forever. And then we've lost a genius. And so things like this happen all the time. And we've seen you know, some of the players that we bring into Germany. We say There's something there. There's something more there that where that something's being missed. And then you see them get into this environment and they just go, they boom, they go exploding as a, like, who is this kid who look at his body language has changed. His posture has changed. He's moving quicker. Look how quickly he's making these decisions. This didn't happen before. Mm. This was involved. So this was nurture, not nature that brought him into this level. And all of a sudden they just explode and they go sailing past the people that were above them uh, maybe a year before that.
0: And, and so well, are there any of these common traits that you see in these whispering talents? So this is a question that I, I sent you over was, did you notice major congruencies in which players tended to be overlooked? And what were those traits that, for instance, obviously size, really short kid, really frail? That's one thing that commonly gets overlooked. Is there anything else that you've seen where you're like, why are people not noticing this detail that clearly shows that this player has a much higher ceiling than any one of these people actually thought, and it's it's right in front of us. Is there anything like that that you've noticed?
1: Well, I, most of the time, it has to do with the physical deficiencies. You know, they just haven't grown. And you know, a kid that's maybe 13 years old could be biologically 11, and a kid that's 13 years old could be biologically 17. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and you can't necessarily blame the coaches for selecting the advanced players because. You know, they get they get right mercilessly if the team isn't winning, because, you know, how many clubs are really when you really look at it, let's be honest, how many clubs are saying we are developing this thing on a vertical basis and we're here to develop players for the future. It doesn't that very rarely exists in the United States. We have a competitive environment and you got to win. So it's not necessarily a case. It's part partly to do with the, the culture. But. Um, you know here's an example of of a whispering talent that, that almost was almost, almost had his talent derailed. And this is a, a coach that I work with very often, uh, yeah, we, we work with on a talent project in Germany who is humble enough to admit that he made, nearly made a mistake with a player. So he was coaching the under fifteenth um, at Fortuna Dusseldorf. Now, Fortuna Dusseldorf plays in the Rhineland there, so their competition is Dortmund and München Gladbach and Bayer Leverkusen and Schalke, so on and so forth. This, this is one of the most concentrated areas, so the competition is unbelievable there. And he had this player in the middle who was trying to thread these balls through, and they kept on falling short, and he kept on falling short. And finally, he says, and, and the, our coach, uh, Samir, was was just about to pull him out of the game and say, I'm going to stop, and you're not going to make those passes anymore. The coaching director was standing next to him. The technical director of the club said, don't say a word to this kid. This kid is making the absolute right decisions, and he just isn't doesn't have the leg strength to pull that up, but you don't want to take that decision away from him, so he shut up. So here's how the story ends. It doesn't end, but this is how the story evolves. Two years later, he's watching the European under-17 championships. Germany is playing France. Germany wins the game 2-0. Two goals are scored by Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz got this ball fed to him by that very same player with the exact same pass that he couldn't make two years previously. And, the, and Samir, our coach, said, I I nearly coached that pass out of the kit. And so these are this, this the stories things that happen all the time in youth soccer the 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 the, uh the talent is there it's waiting to come out it needs time it needs patience it needs the uh, the player needs time to make mistakes and correct the mistake because this is all really a critical part of the of the formula if they are not allowed to make these mistakes and then adjust to these mistakes they never really develop so
0: and so do we get a great unveiling of who this midfielder with the great through balls was
1: that my move this is a this is a trade secret
0: <laughs> so but actually it's great that you say that because i I currently so I've been dealing with this a uh, little bit as a coach I, every now and again i'll come across a player who loves to dribble they they will take eight nine ten touches on a ball and they will look and they will patrol around until they find what they want to find now at 13 12 13 they're dribbling too much. They're taking too many touches. They're missing good decisions, good opportunities to get rid of the ball, to move it, and then continue with the play to keep affecting it. But the the thing about these kids is that the only, every now and again, when I have a kid like that on my team, they're the only one that I have on my team who is willing and has the confidence in themselves to carry the ball around that long. Most of the rest... It's a couple touches and then it's got to go somewhere else or it's got to get to somebody or it's, it's got to be a through ball. But when I see a kid who's willing to attract that much attention to themselves and they repeatedly fail. And basically what I eventually told both these kids is I was like, look, I don't care how many touches on the ball you take. I do not care. I don't care if you dribble by five or six people. At the end of all of that, though, the ball has to end up with a teammate of yours. You cannot give it to the opposition. And so. I've had some coaches come and be like, why don't you tell that kid to play two, three touch? Oh, my God. I'm like, it's the one thing he does that's different from everybody is that he's got the balls to carry the ball. And And that is such a unique trait to me. And I see coaches just hammering kids, two touch, three touch, two touch, three touch. And you're like, you have something different here. And that's one of those things that I commonly see in in. I think winning is an interesting one in America. It's obviously a problem And my club. I'm lucky enough to coach for a club that really tell us that really push us on. We don't care about your league results at all. Just develop your players. And I, I mean, I, I take it all the way. I have a lot of losing records in my seasons, but I'm trying to teach my kids to think and play and actually understand what they're doing rather than just, I put on a shirt, I'm running around on grass. Did we win? Did we lose? Okay. Go home. And that's, just trying to break down that cognitive cycle for them. I think that makes a really big difference, but what we see is a lot of kids, they get overlooked not even based on deficiency, but actually based on a talent, which I think is extraordinary. Um, And what it leads into is this this common narrative that I have because I coach 13, 14, 15-year-olds is that if you aren't playing at elite levels like ECNL in the United States or you're not in an academy team by the time of 14, 15 – The common quote is you can kiss a professional career goodbye. There's no chance for you unless you magically grow six inches or unless something magically happens to you. Um, What is this view about how we view this pathway of talent? I think this is much more common in the United States, but what does that say about it? if, If we're convinced that 14 is strictly too late for development?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I, I think that we overlook the ability to improve, in, when the player gets into the right sort of environment, and, and he and he has the will to improve. Um, now, having said that, the better the better the the players. I mean, you need the cooperation of good players around you to really improve. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kid really standing out, but he's playing with guys that are way below his levels. He's going to have a real difficult time developing. Uh, it's just, that's just the way it is because they have to be driven. That's, if The game becomes too easy and it gets back to that constant. Why do I have to concentrate? Because it's too easy for me. And so that, that part is I, I would agree that they have to be playing at, at the highest level, but to say that they're not going to get there by 14 is, I think is patently false. I think that if they have the will, they have a real hunger, then, uh, you know, sometimes you just need a little bit of luck. And a lot of times you see players that are, that are, you know, maybe undiscovered. They say, well, who is this kid? Is he playing on a relatively modest kid a relatively modest team, but eventually they get discovered and then they have a chance to move on into higher levels. Assuming that the club itself is not trying to strangle them and say, well, I need you to, you know, to keep the trophies flowing. And that's sometimes also a problem.
0: So there's, Three stories that are late bloomers that I adore. One from when I was uh, growing up, when I was a kid. um, Does the name Dotto Perso ring a bell? I'm afraid not. So this is a Croatian guy who played in, I believe he was a car mechanic or something like that in Sirius C. And yeah, Croatian guy. And just wrote at the age of 26, 27, rose through the leagues. And he actually was one of the top goal scorers of that Monaco team that went to the 2003 champions league final against Mourinho's Porto. He was a key player in that and then went to the Euros in 2004 and was scoring goals for Croatia. And this is a guy who four or five years earlier was an amateur player playing in an amateur league in Italy, just getting by. And then he's, you know, sort of household name in global football for a little piece of time there. Another one to me is Golo Kante probably, uh, I've got him right there in a frame. He's probably my favorite player in the world right now just because he's so unique. But again, someone who up until the age of 23, 24, there's, no one was really interested in him. Third league in, in,
1: in France. Yeah,
0: yeah, playing at Le Havre. I mean, it's a tiny club, tiny town. It's you know, yeah. developmental, yes. But there was never a, a view of him uh, for, for years and years. No one was talking about him as just wait and see, just wait. Maybe a few people were, but we don't know who they are. And then the other one is, oh, no, to Sally. And I want to bring this up because I think this one's really interesting. It's an amazing story of a boy who didn't pick up organized football. Until he was 14 mm-hmm. in Massachusetts and is now playing for Wolves. I believe he's 20. Um, So he was 14 when he picked up football. And we've got coaches saying at 14, 15, it's too late, right? So this is when you said patently false, I mean, this is a great example of it. And the key that a lot of his coach said he was incredibly driven. Um, So you, you really feel like that, that drive is going to do more than so many of the things that we coaches think we've instilled in players, right? It's, it really is up to them, isn't
1: it? Well, it is. And a lot of them just, you know, and uh, you know, I played in England back in the seventies and they used to say back then that if you're not playing in the first league by the time you're 18, you're finished. And yet yeah, a lot of good players would go into the third or fourth league and then they'd rise up. The, the, all of a sudden they appear in the, in the first league somewhere and say, where did this guy come from? You know, and you see this now in Germany, they take a more pay, uh, patient approach and they might consider a 22 year old still a talent. And so they have a much longer d- development. Now they're starting to bring in players a lot younger. But I th- but the you know the football is full of of these great stories of guys that were just completely overlooked, and they were talented. Now it's even in, in, in the case of 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 uh, Ngola he's playing in the third league in France before he gets picked up. But that's not a bad level either. No, it's and so true. And he's playing and, and and to play at any professional level is 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 difficult. It's hard to become a pro. And uh, so when you're playing at that level, then your natural talent starts to come out. But to look at Mario Goetzer was 14 when he was um, they told him he had no future in professional football. And three years later, he's the biggest talent in Germany. And then he scores a winning goal in the World Cup. Uh, Marco Royce was playing in the, in the reserve team of a third league club in Germany when he was picked up by Mönchengladbach, and then all of a sudden he started to sail up the up the up the you know through the uh, the, the ratings in the team. Next thing is he Borussia Dortmund. He's a German national player. Thomas Müller at 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 um, at Bayern Munich got sixes, which is the lowest possible score by the scouts when he's being evaluated for potential at at uh, at Bayern Munich. And uh, Antoine Griezmann was completely overlooked by everybody, mm-hmm. completely overlooked. Uh, Dries Mertens, uh, the, the, uh, the Belgian international, again, 18 years old, you have no future in football. Now he's one of the, the, the biggest stars in Europe. So, you know, the, it's, it, this is a matter of sometimes, and know you've heard the, the, the term, uh, a coach uh, once uh, uh, quoted that he puts hunger above skills. And these players who are, are just incredibly driven and they want to play and they define themselves as a player and they're out there all the time and they just keep getting better. And it's least it's not it, it may not it, it may not be an overnight thing. It, it's very it's incremental and they're getting better and they're getting better and they're getting better. And but everyone continues to overlook them because they're not really paying attention to the improvement. And all of a sudden, right. so. Where did this guy come from? Well, he's been improving all along. He's been here all along. We just haven't been paying attention to him. Yeah. Now, so Otis- Mention him now. I think that's an important point though. Otisoe is, is a really, really good player and he's really got a big future ahead of him. And you and you're absolutely right. He didn't start playing organized football till he was 14, but he was playing street football. Mm-hmm. And he was learning to play. So he was actually honing his skills in the same way many of the, uh, the Brazilian players do on the streets or in the, the favelas there in, the, in, the, uh, in Brazil, where they're, they're just playing constantly. They're playing constantly. And every day is full of cognitive challenges, technical challenges. And all of a sudden, they develop this incredible ability to always find solutions with the ball. This is this is developed on the street. And I think that we, we, we overlook that. Uh, they're overlooking that in Europe, by the way. They're having this, this this conversation is going on all over the world. We are not allowing our young players enough street football. And street football can occur in, in the context of an organized team session. But it, you recreate the street football. Let them play. Let them play. Don't coach. Make mistakes and correct them. But be serious about it. And uh, I think that that in the particularly in the younger ages, this is when romance develops, and this is the romance is like that motivational spark that that develops them, and and they, they it drives
0: them forward. It creates that
1: hunger; they want to get better, and uh, that's really really important.
0: I, I actually love that. I take hunger over skill. I think that. I mean, I, I probably now that I think about it, I'm probably look at look at it the same way with my players. Um, you know, there's and it's a like a lot of the coaches will say, I've got practice players and game players. I think I hear that a lot. The ones that are excellent in training, right? They do everything right. They listen to what you say, but they're in, unimpactful on game day. And you got the guy that's technically raw, kind of a little exactly. bit of a jokester, but is able to switch on to a competitive mentality, but more than anything, have the self-belief that what they're going to do is going to work. Whereas a lot of these technical players, they're very, very concerned that their tricks just won't come off, that this that what they want to do won't quite happen. And and the hunger quite simply pushes you through all that a lot of the time. It just it breaks down walls um, for me. It's, it's what I've noticed with the players. And I think that's that's interesting. So in order to create uh in order to get all these things linked together with talent project, you guys have to create a holistic soccer experience, right? There is an educational side to it. Language. Like you said, it's like a foreign exchange student program, basically. How important was that? Because like I said, I think, I think elite soccer in the United States is extremely sterile. Um, Academy players are not allowed to step onto a field with anyone else. Like, I work at Rapids and the youth club, our academy players, if they're around, I've invited some to just jump in and they're like, no, we're not allowed to. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I'm not surprised entirely because I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel that if we're going to give players a real footballing experience, it has to be more than just train, play, and that's it. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I recommend to my players – when they're asking for camps or experiences, I'm like, go abroad, go somewhere where you're going to get, you know, playing football is going to be a two hour part of the day, but the rest is learning life and meeting people and learning other skills. And so do you think that that's when you built that into talent projects, that's something you're like, this is actually how we're going to build pros. We're not going to build pros by just having them come out, play for six hours a day, hopefully get a contract and then off you go. Is that well, that's an extremely important point, Sebastian. Uh, we, we
1: f- you know, for every player that you read about that, that makes it, you know, the McKennies, the Pulisic's and the Raines, and the Adams and the Sarge's, these these guys are out there. There'll be 20 that were possibly just as talented that went into a, a, an environment and failed miserably because they could not make the, the mental, the emotional adjustments, the cultural adjustments, the language, all these things conspire to derail talent. And you see a player sometimes come into a, an environment that's, you go, wow, you just know this kid has got some incredible talent, yet he shrinks. Okay, he doesn't, he's, he's, he's unhappy because he doesn't understand what people are saying, don't know the language, the weather is different, the, the style of play is different, the food is different, they're missing their family and friends And you really need, you really need, it's really, really important to have an integrative um, pathway that ramps the player up to get them to where he needs to be. Otherwise, because anybody, anybody can transfer a player. If you've got the money, you can transfer anybody you want. Now, the question is, how do you get the maximum talent out of that player to make that investment work? Now, Bayer Leverkusen were great at that. They discovered that they were bringing, um, really, really, they were discovering some superb Brazilian players, bringing them into Germany. But they noticed that they had about six months of adjustments where they, they, they were not getting it right. And they were, they were just awkward. And they weren't, they, they weren't showing anything anywhere close to what their potential was. And then the, the club, to their, to their benefit, and this is one of the best-run clubs in the world, really, they created an entire infrastructure around the, the, the Brazilian players. So they had Portuguese speaking uh, interpreters, they had people helping their wives to uh, to get, get, helping their kids get settled in school, help them shopping, finding the foods that they're familiar with, creating a social network for them, getting them, uh, helping them to get the language uh, 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 learning to adapt to the language and teaching them about the culture. And then it made all the difference in the world because these players became like, you know, Emerson and Jorginho and was. Sergio and uh, Z Roberto, Z Roberto
0: yeah.
1: he, big, big talents. They came out of nowhere, but they brought them in. And um, so what we try to do to mid uh, violent killers, we bring our players into a, I don't like to use the word cocoon because that sounds a little bit too safe and we want the players out of their comfort zone, but, when they are allowed to come in and they're around an area where they feel safe, they feel comfortable. They don't have to learn the language overnight. They get a little bit of home and then gradually day by day, they're learning the language. They're learning how the game is played. They're learning, they're adapting to the speed of play. They're learning what the culture is like, or oh, they're learning how think people think differently. And then they get a few months to where they are ramping up to where Now they're starting to get it. Now they're starting to look like one of the locals over here. Now they're starting to look like young Bundesliga talents. But if you skip that part, that holistic part, you could miss that entirely.
0: I mean, I I couldn't agree more. That's what, as a coach, that's what I try to do is make it as holistic as possible. I mean, it's a little more difficult when you're coaching U13, U14 kids. You only see a few times a week, but really trying to key in all parts of the game. I think, and 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 parts of life I think they're just so important in this and that tends I think to tends to also just inspire just a little bit more the fact that because one of the most inspiring football experience I ever had was have you heard of have you ever heard of Tauchi in Bolivia? Bolivia yeah. Yeah so I went down there my sister found that she was uh, my sister was playing at Colorado College she had walked onto the D1 team there and was extremely nervous for her sophomore year and I was about to go into my senior year of high school and she was very nervous she didn't feel like she was fit enough and wasn't ready and so she went online and looked for camps and found Tawichi Academy in Bolivia and just came to me one day and said I think we should do this and I was like well this sounds wild and fun let's try it and <laughs> our parents were both like yeah no this sounds great we'll send you guys down there so we did it for a month and I mean doing like 2 mile laps of a sand dune park, you know, and doing like sprints up sand dunes, going to rivers and just go, doing a, literally a 1 mile run up and down a river that's like knee deep water. Um playing against teams from all around the region and going to some places where the whole town came out to see the gringos play. I mean, it was <laughs> and staying in a homestay, right? So, you know, you're with a family and and you're learning to speak the language and uh, you play with a lot of the other kids from the Academy, a lot of the Bolivian kids that are there. And I mean, I, I could, couldn't, the only thing that would have been better is if that would have been nice, if we were able to do a little bit of sightseeing of Bolivia, like actually go and see something nice or go to a beautiful place or whatever, but it was football all day, every day. The great thing about it was it was a pretty holistic experience and it will forever stay probably the most memorable choice I ever made as a youth player to go expose myself on top of that I got a whole new window into what footballers look like because there were so many different talents that were there that I'd never seen before I'd never laid eyes on kids like that in Colorado and I just think that must be a really fun thing to bring kids from the United States who maybe have not really spent much of any time abroad and Put them together in Germany and kind of show them, hey, guys, here's how life in a different country works and how excited are you to try and make this your life? I mean, that must be a really inspiring thing to watch.
1: It, it is inspiring. And what we're providing is really what we call revelatory moments with uh, that ignite and you want to ignite that passion and they want to see the world and they and you you know you talk about your experience at tawichi which you know i can relate to that 100% because i and i know exactly what you're talking about you get to something and all of a sudden the world becomes much bigger and you see and you change you're changed uh, because your paradigm has shifted and now your standards are higher because you've seen it and you've felt it and you've experienced it and that changes you inside that changes your paradigm and that ignites that, 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 uh, that raw passion, that hunger. I got to get better. Cause I want more of this. It's really, really important. And that's, you and that's really one of the satisfying things that we see is, is the, is the change in the people that, that, that come and they, you know, they, 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 uh, they become, uh, they become more.
0: Are there any, any igniters or lightning rods that you, that, that have, that you've seen players as kind of just a moment of inspiration that kind of made you go, wow, like that player really took to this. And it wasn't necessarily a football thing, but what it did was open up the gates for their football development.
1: Well, well, yeah, I think that because sometimes we, we, uh, you, you're right. We we tend to live uh, in a bubble in a sense in the United States, even though now the world is a smaller place. We've got the internet, we've got satellite TV and, you know, our kids are pretty, they're they're much more uh, cognizant of what the world is like but they haven't felt it mm. and so until to feel it then it's it's very very difficult so um
0: so that part is extremely important well what i love about it because so one of my lifelong dreams down the road is to actually create some kind of football school football academy that that addresses an opportunity where there are shortcomings, either those, whether those exist in the sport or in society. And I mean, was, was this a dream of yours for a while, or did this really just kind of get kickstarted when you noticed American players aren't going to get this opportunity more? I feel like I can do something or in the back of your mind, have you always wanted to create your own way to facilitate the game for, for young people?
1: (laughs) Well, you ask a very interesting question. <laughs> you know, I've, I have formed
0: uh, in the United States
1: from scratch uh, four professional clubs. And in every one of those clubs, I, I wanted very badly to, to replicate systems that I had become familiar with as a player. And that is the European system with vertical integration of the teams and things like that. The, the political pushback every time I tried to do it was enormous to the point where you know, community leaders would say, look, if you try to create academies here, we're gonna boycott your games and, and, and everything else. This has been a real struggle. And I think that there's been a certain amount of, of, um, of um, cultural change that has to, had to come in, even with MLS, who started, who are required to invest in youth development and required to have academies they got a lot particularly in the early days now we're starting to accept that they're here but a lot of times you have major clubs saying we will boycott you we're not gonna have anything to do with you if you are, have the audacity to try to bring professionalism into our youth development program we all know we need it and everyone say we need it but now you try to do it and the political winds start blowing and everything kind of falls apart so i've been wanting to do this for decades and, and I've watched the, the market change. I watched the perception of soccer change in the United States over that time to where you know, a few people had to get bloody trying to, to get through the wall, you know, do this and they're gonna make it happen and they're gonna be the target of ridicule, crit, ridicule and criticism. But as our players become more and more uh, aware of what's going on in the world, their expectations also rise. Parents, now we got parents that are also former players. It's no longer just a case of only the kid and the family is cognizant of soccer. Now you got entire families. So they have higher expectations. So now it's so much easier to, to take radical things that would have been considered radical maybe 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Now you start to see that, which, which facilitated, by the way, the talent project being able to even exist because uh, but we, I was, uh, we had a lot of trouble trying. This, this is a, I mean, we're in our third year now, but we had seven years of struggle trying to get this thing off the ground uh, because the perception had not changed, had not really fully developed that we need to get our guys overseas. Now, there was a revelatory moment in American soccer that is extremely, extremely important. And I liken this, and this is a threshold moment, that is Christian Pulisic arrived Now we have a 16 year old American, uh, almost 17, who is breaking in at Borussia Dortmund and he's playing extremely well. And other kids are seeing this and they're saying, wow, him, why can't I? Look what he's doing. Now, what is he telling kids? What is he telling Americans? He's saying, you got to get to Europe. You've got to get to Europe. You've got to get to Europe as early as you can, because if you want to be the best player you can be, you've got to go where the action is. Now, the whole country's changed. Now our perception of what we have to do has changed. And, and when Christian Pulisic, and, I, and I'll, I, if, I, if I make a, a um, kind of a, a prognostication I made back in the, in the 80s, that was when America develops its first international class, that's, that's, that's recognized as an international class player, is a very high uh, uh, transfer, there'll be 20 behind within five years because all we need is that one revelation that Americans can do it. Now look what we've got. Christian comes through and Gio comes through and and Tyler comes through and Weston comes through and Josh, and you know what? And I tell our guys in Germany, you haven't seen anything yet. We have generations of players that are coming through that are 2007, 2008, 2009, that can play anywhere. Give them the right environment. The United States is going to really be formidable in just a few more years.
0: That's amazing to think that all it took. Yeah. I mean, and this is the way the world works is right. You need just one watershed moment. And then all of a sudden perceptions change. I mean, you saying perceptions change and things change. I think that COVID accelerated the future in a way that, quite frankly, I think we needed. Um, I think that there were a lot of ruts. I think that there were a lot of uh, cul-de-sacs, hamster wheels, take your pick of a metaphor (laughs) But we were going nowhere in a lot of ways. And I don't just mean in football. I mean, in all kinds of parts of our our society. And then you have this global pandemic, which fascinatingly connects every single person on this planet, something that has never happened in my lifetime and most people's lifetime that literally everyone on Earth is, you know, World War II. If you were living somewhere else, maybe it didn't affect you. Right. But no one escaped COVID. And or the impact that it had and so what it did was it accelerated so many things and when i look at the football world i think to myself you know a lot of these larger structure clubs that you know like mine honestly that that serve u4 all the way to u23 and also are uh, affiliated with a with a professional team and we have a wpsl team as well um that's a lot it's over 15000 players I know for a fact that just looking around the levels, I know a lot of kids just get overlooked because it's really hard in that kind of structure to create something fluid where kids can play consistently, not get missed, not get forgotten about. And so I have a feeling that the small clubs that are geared towards very specific types of development are about to explode here. So maybe someone who's like, I want to do a U14 through U17 club. We're just going to do elite level boys and girls. We're just going to have two or three teams and we're going to focus hardcore on getting these kids ready. We're going to enter, get them into tournaments. We're going to take them to Europe to, to go play some tournaments and stuff. We're just, that's what we're going to focus on um, or people doing it with just nines and tens, technical work, nines and tens. How are we going to create kids that at nine and 10 can think through the game and play technically well versus I want to start a club that goes U four through U 19 because I don't know how much we're getting done that way, honestly. I I think we're providing an experience where kids can play. Unfortunately, there's the pay-to-play issue, which obviously cuts a lot of them out. But I I have a feeling that the world, in, in the United States culture around football is about to have a huge change because of what happened with COVID, the acceleration of the future. And now what you're saying, you haven't seen anything yet. Just wait five more years for those kids to come out. Now, do you think that, we're really on the brink. I mean, do you really think 2026 is something the United States can consider themselves? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I, say favorites, but why not go in there thinking you can absolutely win it? Or are we still going to be in a, in a growth period at that point?
1: Well, I think we're always going to be in a growth period, but I just hope that we're, we're, we're in a continual state of evolution because that's, that the, you know, that's, that's the nature of football. It's a constantly changing. it's never, as soon as you're static you're falling behind right so but you know i i've I've been around scouting and i've seen some players i mean there's there's good players at every age now coming through but now the younger ones they're getting the coaching's getting really good over here and um referees are, are managing games better and the competition levels are getting good so players can really get good games where they really challenge and and they're plus they're being exposed to uh, professional levels and so they're starting to I think there's a certain osmosis that's taking place that's coming from our environment And you need a lot of environmental reinforcement in order to really develop talent you need a lot of it and uh, so you know I'm looking around and I'm seeing boys that are born in 2007 2008 2009 i go wow 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 this kid these kids are ridiculous they're really really good and all they need is the right sort of environment now give these kids the right the, the right nurturing they've got it and we're gonna the united states can just we, we r0708s our, our can play anywhere and they're coming they're that good and, and so I get excited. We, we just added 2007s to our, we normally the talent project was designed to be a uh, under 16 entry level. We did this for maturity reasons and everything else like that. But circumstances that, that presented themselves to us gave us a chance to move one, one age group down. So now we're looking at 07s. And I'm thinking, wow, there's some really, really good 07s. Coming in, we've already got some excitement from our neighbors up the road, Bayern Munich, and we've got Augsburg, and we've got Firth, and we've got Nuremberg, and Red Bull Salzburg all around, and they're watching. They're watching really carefully. about. They're really interested in what's happening in America. A revolution is happening. A revolution is happening in American soccer. It's very subtle at the moment, but it's going to get really, really big in a matter of two or three years
0: that's really exciting i think it's a great thing because after the 2018 world cup debacle i think a lot of people overreacted personally i thought in the united states i think that was just okay you had a qualifying campaign that didn't work out um my mother's french my father's english believe me i have seen some qualifying campaigns that did not work out and they were pretty scary so uh, i understood that everyone got upset but i thought the, the overreaction was ridiculous um mostly because when you look at how the United States does in under 17, under 18 world cups, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And it's more a question of, yeah, I think just getting that cultural piece from the top down to the bottom and it's coming. I think it's, it's just, there's a lot of kinks being ironed out here. Um, But what I actually find kind of a fascinating topic is you're saying that this, Now people are really starting to take notice of what you guys are doing specifically. And you've only been going three years, right? So that must mean that in Germany, there is this whole thing that says, if you see a kid from the United States, take them seriously as opposed to before. And when I listened to the episode you did with Brendan, where he was like, yeah, I mean, they basically say you guys are all mentally weak. And (laughs) <laughs> or a lot of a lot of the American players are sort of not mentally weak but just not mentally excellent and I think this is uh yeah it's kind of an interesting
1: uh well, I don't think we're there yet we're not we're not there where you know they're 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 viewing us the same as they might view Brazilians, for example however they're 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 curious. And they're seeing the results. So you know, Christian Pulisic also changed their perception, and then Gio came and followed them. And these are guys that were were they're seventeen years old, barely seventeen, debuting in the Bundesliga. Well, how many Germans even do that? You know, right. I mean, the guys through that have had the benefit of a of a of a lifelong uh, professional education through Bundesliga academies, and one year after another, after another, after another, they're 16, 17. seventeen. They're not even sniffing the first team. Now these Americans players come in and all of a sudden holy smokes they're in the first 11 or they're coming in with 25 minutes left or he's scoring a goal and so they are they are definitely uh, viewing us far different than they did just a few years ago and the more we the more we impress them now we are impressing them the more they're going to take us seriously and there are more doors they're going to be opening up so I think there's there's a really important uh, Germany that it doesn't exist by the way which is why so many Americans we have a treaty agreement the United States and the German government on employment on employment law and that means that if a German company offers a contract to an American they have to give them the they have to give them the, the working visa it's the only country in Europe that offers that and so a, a, a football club professional club is an employer and when they want to hire an American with a with an employment contract, it's an immediate access to the working visa, and
0: which so is the reason what, we're seeing so many Americans in Germany. Exactly. Versus exactly. other countries in Europe. It, you, purely diplomatic reason.
1: Well, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, well, diplomatic and and uh, uh, political. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But uh, but anyway, it's it's a good it's a very, very good environment for American players. The uh, the um, they 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 know how to take care of young players over there. Uh, they educate them well and they they value. I, I mentioned Kai Havertz, for example, and this is, this is somewhat anecdotal, but this this will give you an idea how much they value education. Because Kai was 17 years old and he had become an integral player at Bayer Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen were in the Champions League, and they were pushing. I mean, you know, generally everybody plays for second place in the Bundesliga because you know FC Bayern runs away with every year. But they were constantly pushing for those Champions League spots. Now they had a key match against Atletico Madrid in Madrid. And they had to win this to get through the group stage. Now, Kai has already established himself as a key player in that team. So they're getting ready to plan their match, which is going to be on a Wednesday night. And Kai came up to him and said, oh, by the way, I got to reorganize a little bit because I've got a final exam at school. And they said, what? You have a final exam at school? I said, "Okay, you're not going. You're not going on the trip. What do you mean I'm not going on the trip? I want to play. Nope, you're not going. Stay home and get your get your exam done. The, the kid was, I should have said nothing. You know, I should have just shut my mouth. I could have been playing against. But anyway, but the, the club, and, and this is not atypical. This is typical. They said, you have education that's going to stand you for the rest of your life. So you you're, have a career. You've got plenty of years to play professional football, and you will with us. Get your, edu- your test done and get them done well.
0: Well, so I'm a Chelsea fan. I've been a Chelsea fan since I was uh, about eight years old or so, because <laughs> my father's right. from Southwest London. But <laughs> I, that, I think that's a great story to hear because Kai Havertz is a player who, I mean, been, I bet I paid attention to him uh, last season um, when in the Bundesliga, and I was supremely impressed, very yeah. impressed. And I mean, what he's just different. He's just different. I understand why. There's an enormous amount of hype around him because he is is very, very special. But I love to hear that story. Right. That, you know, 17 year old kid accidentally honestly tells something to their coach because they do this all the time. They do a lot. of If they're comfortable with you, they will tell you things that hurt their chances of playing. But it's better that they tell you because you need to know these things. And so I just I just love that The Kai Havertz just he tripped over and said, Oh, I have a final that I have to do. And they're like, Okay, cool. You're not playing against Atletico to Madrid this weekend. I mean, yeah, that's that's brilliant, but it does show you a lot. And I I can tell you right now, I don't know if we have that same level of uh, I guess priority when the kids are teenagers, I think one thing that we have in the United States system, that's really great is the college system where they can go play college ball and potentially also create professional careers out of that, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is terrific. It's really nice that we have that pathway in our system, but it's almost like at that 16, 17 age range, it's where we just mess it up and, or maybe even younger, probably younger, but um. Yeah, in, in I just I worked with a high school team this year, and I couldn't believe the amount of kids that would just be on the brink of ineligible, you know what I mean? For it, you're playing a one and a half month season because it's been truncated because of COVID, and you're flirting with the possibility you have an F in uh you know, a, a college prep class, which is literally just going and talking to your advisor twice a week. That's all it is. And you have an F because you haven't shown up, and it's like. <laughs> And, and and now the coach is like, wait, what? How, how, how can we get you to do this? And so that priority on not just focusing on the sport, not just focusing on something else, but understanding that you do all of this together. You create a holistic basis for yourself. Education stays with you for life. Soccer, you're going to play as long as you possibly can. But at a certain point, you need to have sort of your set of priorities all kind of balanced. and. It sounds like that's one thing that you guys really have brought for these American kids at Talent Project, because it is something that is far more common in German culture. It's way more collectivist country and in in terms of its general culture. And so I think it's great. You guys are really instilling those values in American kids, because it's one of the things that we lack here from my perspective.
1: Well, you're right. And um, in general, you find kids that sometimes and it's not always, and there's always circumstances. So you can't, you can't paint everybody with the same brush, but very often you, you consider kids that are badly underperforming in school that are otherwise intelligence. That's sometimes a red flag because they're lazy uh, because they're unmotivated and because they're undisciplined. And so would they potentially bring that into the dressing room with your club. And so they ask these questions over there. And the second point, the second point that go a lot is hand in hand with it is do they have the intelligence to learn? Are they capable of learning and are they capable of retaining what they learn? And so these are really important questions. So we we do, you know, when we're evaluating and vetting our candidates for the talent project, one of the most important things we look at, I mean, they have to go through a character and personality profile that we that we look at. Uh, but we also look at their academic performance because we want to know that, they, A, they're learners. They enjoy learning because it's very, very... They're going to have to. And they also they're, they're have a certain level of personal discipline. They get their work done. So, That's, yes, so important. That's a very, very important part of, of professional development.
0: I mean, I agree in, in, in every single... Well, no matter what profession you want to get into, I think that's that's crucially important. Well, Mark, I, I actually am going to have to start getting my stuff ready because I've got to do a five-hour drive to go coach a tournament this weekend. But I, I did actually want to say one little thing you said that piqued my interest and maybe I would love to have a conversation with you about this specifically. Um, you mentioned that refereeing has really been improving in Germany. Uh, at least from where from where you what, from where you're standing, from what you see, you've seen large improvements in refereeing. I think I've seen the opposite. Um, I unfortunately have witnessed some of the most appalling refereeing at the youth level and at the high school level. I think I've ever seen in my life in the United States in the last year.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, mostly how referees are treated. I think that's the number one. Uh, okay. But but. I also am curious, I I would, I would love to have an in-depth conversation about how it is that just the official is seen as an entity and how, and and what the importance is on creating better officials and how to do that. Because 80% of the coaches, my colleagues that I talk to, they'll, they'll just be like, oh. If it wasn't for they the referee could, to won that game. And I'm like, we cannot keep doing this. There has to be a point where we've got to improve things. So I would love to find out more about that.
1: Well, I, I, well, I was referring, when I say referee, the standards of referee improvement, I mean, I was really meaning it at the at the highest levels. Uh right, you I you know you have your finger on the pulse much more than me and, and in terms of what mainstream soccer is doing. So your your I, I think your your point is is no doubt very, very valid. But we are I am seeing a lot more uh referee education programs and situations where referees recognize what's a foul and what's not. And one of the problems of, of young player development is that too often they don't know what a foul is, and so they they go in and they get a little bit of body contact and the whistle stop. Well, our players never learn how to play with physical contact, and they come over to Germany and they're it's very physical, in a, in a in a mm. in a not in a in a uh, you know a thuggish way, but it's very physical. And as much as our guys are sometimes they get into a tussle on and they stop. So what are you stopping for? You know this is how we do things over here, but they're used to doing that. They're used to, they get a little bit of a a child, a little bit of a trip or something like that, and immediately they stop. What are you stopping for? And so they learn to play through that. And uh, I think the referees are starting to understand in the United States, certainly at the highest levels, that some very good at top level DA games I've watched and some of the MLS Academy games I watched, the referees have a lot more understanding of what the game is really like and they keep the whistle out of their mouth until they really need to
0: interesting that that's kind of the key that it's about letting them play i agree i agree when you see kids get fouled and they look around like, someone just assaulted me you're like stop taking this personally and play, <laughs> just yeah. up and play. <laughs> it's like it's not a personal thing they just want to nick the ball off you do you want to keep it or not it's your choice <laughs> well either way thank you so much mark this has been a lot of fun and i i would love to keep up with you because you know it's it, it's a fascinating thing you're doing and i i, I hope that anyone interested at least if there's anyone who feels that they have an elite kid an elite player uh can get in touch with you and i also noticed that you have a, a rocky mountain scout i went to your guys website saw you guys have a scout based in the rockies
1: we do we do in fact yeah we've we're, we're gradually developing our scouting network and in this particular case, he's a, he's a former player of mine who went pro, he had a good pro career and he played overseas. And, and he, so he knows, he has a good understanding of what we're looking for. And he's been able to identify two players so far from the, uh, the, from the Denver, Metro Denver area that we think are, are real sleeping talents. And, um, and um, so, yes, we're, we're trying to expand our, our eyes. The United States is, is not a country, it's a continent and trying to find these, these talents, because there's talent everywhere. You don't have to just look in, in Southern California or the Metro New York, Chicago, area to find, you can find them in Iowa. You can find them in Alabama. You can find them in places you never imagined where you'd find. And and certainly the Colorado is loaded with talent. And, uh, and so, you know, having people around there that can make recommendations, that's really important for us.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I think it's, what we actually have is probably the most we have a very very quality girls um there's a lot of a lot of girls that come from colorado get to the u.s national team not as many men so we're still trying to build up the boys program a little bit so when i saw that you guys have a scout here i was like this is great there's some kids who who knows maybe they're in my club maybe they're next door but there's kids that are going and doing this and i think that that's a source of pride for all of us and and that someone like you is actually has seen a whole in the market for American players to be able to do this and to have created this yourself and to have created something that, like I said, is holistic and builds people more than just, okay, we're trying to turn you into a machine that can make it to the Bundesliga. I think that's really excellent. And you guys deserve, you guys deserve some recognition and for people to know who you. you are and for players, if they're interested and they want to do this, to get in touch with you guys and and to go and and, and and try and make something in their careers while while they're still young and while someone's looking for their whispering talent, right?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we 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 um, we could use all the
0: friends we can get. Well, couldn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Mark.
1: Um, I, I I love your program, by the way, and
0: and uh, I'm a fan of Campfire Football. And uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is this is great. I'm super excited, and this is one of those episodes that thankfully I can have my my girlfriend or my mom listen to because they'll find this fascinating because they're not real real football fans, but they do love interesting people and interesting uh, conversations. So, thanks so much for this, and yeah, yeah let's let's do this again sometime. Sure, anytime. All right, Stay Mark. Stay well. Have bye a great bye day. Bye bye. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. That was really fun for me. Honestly, a pretty inspiring conversation just because this really is what I'm most interested in when it comes to football. I know that I'd spend a lot of my podcast right now talking about the top leagues, the professional game, the women's game. But I'm a coach, deep at heart. That's what I am at my core. And this was a conversation where if you don't know that about me, you kind of got a window into what I'm really fascinated by. And this conversation was so inspiring for me because I started this podcast essentially for the reason of finding people like this, finding people who are doing something in football that aids all of our community and that helps people grow for the future. So tip of the cap to Mark Dillon and the Talent Project, and I hope I was able to give you something that you hadn't otherwise heard before. Thanks so much. This is Campfire Football.